So Jesus is buried in the ground. He goes and he takes the keys of death and Hades from Satan. He resurrects from the dead. And uh, man, what a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to celebrate together. And a lot of times after Easter is over in church life, I, I don't know kind of what, how you grew up um, in church and every church kind of does things differently. But here at Mosaic, our tendency has been to kind of redirect our attention back to whatever book of the Bible that we've been preaching. But this year we decided to take one extra week and, and, and stay in the events that happened around the life, death and resurrection of Jesus because a lot happened after the resurrection. There's this 40 day period uh, where Jesus is going around and having uh, clarifying conversations with his disciples who were shell-shocked, <laughs> uh, shell-shocked at the events of the resurrection. Um, for some crazy reason, over even though Jesus predicted uh, the son of man is gonna be crucified, and then resurrect on the third day. I mean, he literally said that. And the disciples were like, uh, but what does that mean, right? And then with hindsight, we look back at that and we're like, of course he meant he was gonna raise from the dead. But uh, how many people have you seen professionally executed by a government come back from the dead three days later? Like that has never happened except for one time. And, and these guys had a heads up, but they still couldn't catch it. And so Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead. And they couldn't, they couldn't believe it. But then when they saw him resurrected, even then, you know, Thomas is like, I got to see the dead. Like I saw what happened to Jesus on the cross. I need to see it. I want to put my hands there. I want to feel it and, and know that he's actually alive. And of course he proved himself to be alive over and over and over and over again uh, to witnesses who would then uh, be sent out on mission for the kingdom. And, and during that 40 day period, if you read the gospel, uh, it's really cool to see kind of what those days must have been like. Uh, but we're going to take a little bit of time today. And as we uh, think about this idea of every knee bowing, right, this series that we've been in, every knee shall bow, um, where uh, we looked at uh, Palm Sunday and we saw the moment, the triumphal entry where Jesus comes in uh, riding on a donkey to Jerusalem and the people are all excited and they're shouting Hosanna, which means save us or God saves and they're excited because they're believing that Jesus is, is the Messiah. But then the events that transpire through the week of Jerusalem and, and uh, it seems as though uh, that, that Messiah was going to be yet another uh, failed hope when uh, he is eventually tried. It's an illegal trial. He's taken back and forth between Herod and Pontius Pilate. Uh, the Sanhedrin are questioning him. Uh, it's totally uh, uh, a bogus um, trial and, and a bogus process that they're putting in place. Um, and they eventually get him uh, to the place where Pilate's gonna release him. And he's asking the mob, the, the crowd, do you want me to release uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And they're like, no, give us this murderer Barabbas instead. And so uh, Barabbas is set free and Jesus takes, uh, uh, takes the journey to the cross and goes to the cross and, and experiences the most horrific death we could imagine. I mean, these are the events that have taken place. And, and what we recognize, and so often through uh, Good Friday, uh, we, we, we walk through that journey mourning and sorrowful because it is a mournful thing uh, that Jesus would die on a cross for our salvation. It's a horrible thing to recognize what he had to go through that we might be saved. But one thing we often miss is that there is actually victory in the cross of Jesus, right? And we, we talked about that and depicted that through our Good Friday gathering together that, that even uh, that Jesus being on the cross, that the Son of Man was lifted up, even 
in the humiliation of the cross, that was the means of his exaltation, that he was exalted uh, as, as the one who would save uh, humanity. As, as John the Baptist said, there's the, there's the, the lamb of God that takes away from the, the sins from the world. And so then we, we get into the resurrection and we see this reality that Jesus has defeated not only sin through the cross, but also death by his resurrection. We recognize that even death has to bow its knee to the lordship of Jesus. And the people who are witnessing the resurrection are, are uh, stunned and in shock at what they are seeing and experiencing and that they bow their knee to the resurrected Jesus. And, and this recognition that, that the angels in heaven, as they announce the resurrection, are bowing their knee to the lordship of Jesus. And the story's not over. And so these 40 days unfold uh, between the resurrection and what we're going to key in on tonight, uh, which is the ascension. And during those 40 days, Jesus is having conversations with his followers about who he is and what he has done. Uh, if you remember the story of uh, the, the, the people who were traveling on the road to a town called Emmaus, and they're having this conversation and uh, this stranger joins their conversation and they're, they're uh, talking to the stranger and the stranger's asking questions. And uh, th- these two people who had been followers of Jesus are, are like, man, ha- are you the only person in town that hasn't heard the events of, of what has taken place? And, uh, and then uh, miraculously, Jesus reveals uh, that it's him to them and they recognize who he is, that he eats a meal with them. And on that walk, he explains from the scriptures, he does this like inductive Bible study experience with them, where he walks them Genesis through Malachi to show them through the scriptures that the Messiah would be uh, who Jesus ends up being, right? That, that he is the perfect Messiah, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect one to come live and die on the cross for our salvation and then resurrect from the dead. And so that experience of those 40 days is really an experience of illumination, uh, for the followers of Jesus, after being stunned by the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus is giving a little bit of time for them to wrap their minds around what events have taken place. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus gathers his disciples together. And we're going to read in uh, at the end of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, uh, this experience that Jesus uh, is is illuminating for them who he is and then gathers them together um, at uh, Bethany and uh, proclaims who he is and sends them on mission in beautiful fashion. So grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Luke. And we're going to start in verse 44. Luke 24. Starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words. So Jesus is speaking to his followers. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, this is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually, continually in the temple, 
blessing God. So there's a lot here. There's this moment of illumination. Uh, Luke kind of packs uh, a, a few different details in his gospel account in Luke of how Jesus uh, gives the great commission, which we're gonna get to a little bit more in detail uh, through Matthew's gospel and then also in Acts. Uh, and then in Acts, which is kind of part two of his like documentary, if you will, where he chronicles the life of Jesus and then the life of the church. So uh, Luke is the life of Jesus, Acts is the life of the church, and uh, Luke is that author. And he writes a careful, detailed account, and he gives us the details of the Great Commission here, but he gives the, the details of that Great Commission within the framework of illuminating uh, who he is to his followers. So Jesus is like, hey, this is who I am. I, you need to know who I am first. You need to know what it means that I was the Messiah, what it means that God foretold through the prophets, through the law, through Moses, through the Psalms, uh, that I would be who I am, that I would be uh, killed and resurrect from the dead. You need to know who I am and what my mission was here on earth before I give you the next step of the mission. And so this is a work of illumination that he's doing, but then he gives them a commission. He's saying, I'm going to send you to proclaim my name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. But he says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father, which is the Holy Spirit upon you. So stay into the city, in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, and then he led them out. And I love the way, this is just a fun side note. I love the way he leaves uh, us, Luke leaves us in verse 53, uh, that, that they were 52 and 53, that they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And what did they do? They're like, okay, what now? What should we do? Well, let's go worship in the temple and bless God. I mean, their response, who is Jesus? Is like, we gotta worship. <laughs> we have to worship. Who, who Jesus is and what he's done, he's incredible. And so they, they go to the temple and they worship him. But what I want us to see here is this experience, this ascension. What Jesus does as he goes up into heaven is that he is being seated at the right hand of the father that he is being crowned with the honor and glory that is due to him. That, that the ascension is his exaltation, just as the cross was his exaltation in the midst of his humiliation. The ascension is his exaltation and where he sits now, where he is seated now, seated now is at the right hand of the father in glory. And that is why when we come together, we worship Jesus. We proclaim the name of Jesus. We uh, give him the honor and the glory that he is due. It's what the disciples did with that, right? Uh, that they, they, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go to Jerusalem. Let's worship in the temple. Let's worship who Jesus is, that he's the God of the universe, the God man who came and took on flesh to dwell among us. And I love how um, in Acts, Luke describes these same events, but from a bit of a different lens. Uh, so let's turn there to Acts chapter one. These same events that uh, he is explaining in his gospel in Luke, he summarizes uh, these events in Acts chapter one, starting in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at time this, this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he's alluding back to some of this clarifying conversation that the disciples were having with Jesus. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the father is fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stand beside them in white robes, proclaiming, Uh, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go uh, into heaven. And I love these two kind of dimensions of this same experience, this same account uh, where these people are coming and, and they're saying, okay, Jesus, now what? What's next? What should we do from here? And Jesus is saying, listen, I am going to the father to be seated at the right hand of God in my place of authority. What does he say in Matthew uh, for the great commission account in Matthew? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So Jesus is talking. He's saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. What you see over and over and over again through Luke's account uh, in Luke, Luke's account in Acts, the Great Commission in Matthew, is this motif, this idea of the authority that Jesus now has through his life, death, and resurrection that he now sends us in when we receive power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit to go proclaim with his authority, the good news of the gospel to all the nations. This is the work that Jesus is doing on the earth. He is, he is setting up his authority on this earth through his life, death, and resurrection. Though sin invited in the authority of an enemy, of Satan, of the enemy of God with the peoples on the earth, Jesus came in to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer Satan, to conquer hell, to conquer the grave, to conquer it all so that he would be placed in authority at the right hand of the father. And he would send us in his authority and by his authority into a dark, broken world to the ends of the earth so that every tribe, tongue, language, nation, every people group on earth would know about who Jesus is and what he has done so that what has been robbed from humanity through the introduction of sin into the world, what has been robbed from creation through the introduction of sin into the world as, as Adam, our first, you know, Adam and Eve, our first parents introduced sinful uh, realities and the curse of sin into planet earth, Jesus is doing a work of reversing that curse as the gospel goes forth into the nations and you and I get to be a part of that. Like, this is amazing. And so what what this series about, Every Knee Shall Bow, is recognizing that the work of Jesus that he is uh, initiating in his ministry, um, just from the moment of his baptism, right? We see the spirit descends on him as a dove. Uh, the, The father speaks over him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him and do what he says. What is that talking about? It's authority, right? That, that God, the father is saying, he is ministering in my authority. Well, Jesus lived this perfect sinless life where he was fully obedient to the father's will, right? We even see that in the garden of Gethsemane, right as he's about to go to the cross and it's so difficult and he's feeling so much anxiety. And he says, you know what? 
Father, if there's any way this cup of your wrath, which I'm about to drink for sin, if there's any way that this cup can be removed from me, let it be so. Yet, what? Not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus was operating with the authority that the father had given him and he was fully submitted to the the authority of the father, right? And what Paul gives to us in Philippians, and we've been in Philippians, if you've been uh, with Mosaic for a while, you know we were in Philippians before Easter. We took a step out of Philippians for the Easter time, Easter series, Easter season. And we're gonna take a step back into Philippians when when we're done here, just next week. But in Philippians, we came across this amazing verse and that's kind of really been the birthplace of this idea for this series, for this Easter series, to look at Jesus and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus through the lens of this idea of authority, right? And this verse that, uh, that Paul writes in Philippians is so beautiful. And I want us to turn there, Philippians chapter two together. Philippians chapter two. And we're going to start in verse nine. Philippians two, starting in verse nine. Actually, no, no, no. I need to back up. Sorry. I want to give you the context. So the context, if you go all the way up to chapter two and you look at the heading, depending on your translation, may say different things. In the ASV, it says Christ's example of humility, right? The context is... Jesus, the God man who took on flesh to dwell among us has demonstrated humility for us in a way that we can't even fathom and the way that we can't even understand. And so Paul is saying, listen, I want your attitude to be like Jesus, which is, you know, hard, right? It's hard to be like Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to understand Jesus and who he is and what he's done so that you can begin to adopt his attitude. And so Paul says, um, So let's start in verse four. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto tightly. But what? He emptied himself by how? Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, right? So, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Spirit. Uh, He is eternal. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-good. He's the creator. Colossians says that everything that was created was created by him, through him, and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is who we're talking about, right? Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul says, I want you to be humble like Jesus was because what did Jesus do? Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself how? He didn't empty himself of his divinity, not at all, but he emptied himself of his prerogatives to those attributes, to his divine uh, uh, identity in terms of its interaction with creation. And Jesus took on human flesh. He added to his divinity humanity. So he is fully God and fully human. So this is Orthodox Christianity. This is what we believe as Christians, that Jesus is the God man. So Jesus adds humanity to his divinity, becomes uh, a, a man for us. And he lives a sinless life, perfectly submitted to the father. But Jesus being found in human form, it says in verse eight, 
he humbled himself not only to becoming human, which would be enough, right? Wouldn't that be amazing enough that, that God would become man for us? But it doesn't stop there. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the worst death that they could think of in a Roman context. So therefore, therefore God has highly what? Exalted him. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, which is the name Yahweh, by the way. You do a real fun word study on this, uh, connect some scriptures. God (laughs) bestows on Jesus the name that is above every other name. This is a name that Jewish people would not even utter, that uh, they, they didn't even know how to fully pronounce this name by the time that Jesus was living on this planet, because it was such a holy name that they didn't even utter this name. And, and Jesus is given the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. That this is the one we worship. This is the one who in humility took on human flesh to dwell among us. And and God has exalted him who has every right to exalt whoever he wants. And Jesus is fully exalted. He is given the name that is above every other name. He is at the right hand of the father that at his name, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So when you take the context of the authority of Jesus and who he is, and when you wrap that context and his exaltation and what Jesus uh, uh, is deserving of because of his life, his death and his resurrection. When you take that context and you recognize that context within the great commission, when Jesus says all authority in heaven on earth has now been given to me, right? What's he talking about? His exaltation. He's about to ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the father. And he's saying, my followers, I've got all the authority and now I'm gonna send you with my authority to the ends of the earth to proclaim who I am to the nations but don't you dare try to go yet. Don't you dare try to go yet. Instead, wait in the city until I send the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit uh, that descended on Jesus like a dove and and empowered him to do his earthly ministry. The, The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead Jesus is saying, it's better for you that I go because when I go, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, this helper, and he's gonna indwell you and he's gonna empower you and you are gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth with my authority to take the good news of who I am to the very ends of the earth. This is what it's all about, that Jesus has been exalted as the name above every other name that at his name, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And that will happen eventually, okay? Is every knee bowing to Jesus right now? It's not a trick question. No, there are many knees that refuse to bow to Jesus. Is he still 
over them in authority? Does Jesus still have authority over the entire cosmos, over every human being, over Satan and every demon? Does Jesus have that authority? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is drawing people unto himself. He's the king, but he's a kind king. And he's drawing people to himself. And at this time, as long as we are living and breathing and he has not returned, we have time to bow our knees here in this life to him and recognize his lordship. But when we take our last breath, that opportunity is no longer afforded to us. And yet one day our knee will bow, whether we like it or not. Jesus is in authority, whether we like it or not. Our opinion of Jesus' authority has no bearing on his authority. And the opinion of Satan about Jesus, which we know is his enemy. He hates Jesus more than any being that will ever live. Satan hates Jesus, but Satan is under the authority of Jesus. And one day Satan's knee will bow and his tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, if I understand my Bible correctly, that'll be right before he gets cast into the lake of fire forever. But this idea that Jesus is in authority and he's going to send us with his authority is huge. But it's so important for us to recognize that he tells them not to go until the spirit comes. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and be the witnesses that we are called to be in the midst of a broken and fallen and still sinful world that is full of darkness. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to be my witnesses in a world that is still hostile towards my authority. That is still resistant to bowing their knee in submission to me. We live in a world that is further and further and further digging in its heels against the idea that there might even be a God, let alone that we could know his name, let, let alone that he has actually done things in this world, let alone that he would be inviting and calling people to repentance and to salvation and to bowing their knee to his authority, right? So we live in a cultural context that is further and further and further away from being able to wrap its uh, a collective mind around a God who would be an authority, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you, but don't try to go on your own. <laughs> don't try to go in your own strength. Don't try to go with your own power, because if you do, you will fail, you will die. So he says, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to give you my helper, the Holy Spirit, who will indwell you just like the Spirit of God indwelt the temple. I think it's so great and ironic. Do you catch what Luke, uh, his, the end of the gospel, he's like, uh, hey, wait in the city. Where do they go? They go to the temple to worship God until they become the temple of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? How cool is that? That they go and they wait and they worship in the temple and they're, they're, they're just waiting to be indwelled with the Spirit so that they would be the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Later on in scripture, it says that God does not desire to dwell in temples built by human hands, but he desires to dwell in, in his people. And so he sends us as his temple. He sends us in his authority. He sends us to carry with us everywhere we go, the worship of God, 
to, to carry with us the presence of God everywhere we go, to carry with us the kingdom of God everywhere we go, to carry with us the message of salvation everywhere, everywhere we go. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go make disciples of all nations. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter three about what our calling is as we are now this new temple of the Holy Spirit, collectively the church, what our calling is to bring the authority of Jesus to bear in the earth and beyond. Listen to this uh, and actually turn there. Uh, Philippians chapter three, we're gonna start in verse seven. Uh, Philippians, Ephesians chapter three. We're going to start in verse seven. I got a, Ephesians in my notes, Philippians in my Bible. So I got to fix that. We're going to read some very seemingly odd verses uh, in the context. Okay. All right. So Ephesians chapter three, verse seven, Paul says of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which I, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's this all nations proclamation of the gospel. Paul is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Uh, God has chosen Paul to do this job. Um, and, and I love this. Uh, that verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold just means many faceted. <laughs> that the many faceted manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to who? Not just the people, not just the nations, certainly the nations, right? That's the great commission. But it even goes beyond that. That the manifold wisdom of God may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So here's what's happening. Jesus has sent us as new temples of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news of who he is to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And not only will those people be able to see who Jesus is and see the gospel for what it is, what it is the mystery of the gospel that God was uniting Jews and Gentiles, that people from all backgrounds, from all places would come and become one new man that we would become the new creation, that we would become the new humanity, that we would become the children of God together. And that in the process of us taking the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, that we would take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that not only will people see who Jesus is and will see the manifold wisdom of God being revealed through the gospel, but even the rulers and authorities, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and even under the earth will be blown away by the, by the wisdom of God and the manifold wisdom of God being demonstrated through us as we preach, declare, live the gospel every single day. That through the church, through God's people, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the entire cosmos. That's a big deal. That is huge, huge. We live in a world that is so purposeless, right? We live in a world that people are valued at the same level as any other creature, that, that life has been given so little value and worth by our culture. 
that we're just here. We're just a blip on a cosmic radar. We're just a product of some cosmic chance. And God is saying, no, I've actually created you fearfully and wonderfully. I have called you out of darkness and into light. I have fearfully and wonderfully made you to be my temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why I call you to honor me with your body because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, you make disciples of all nations and you make the mystery of the gospel known to human beings and to the entire cosmos. It's a life that is full of purpose beyond we can fully grasp. Like the, the, the amount of purpose that is given to us in God is something that we can't fully wrap our minds around. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you, my people, people who believe in me, people who are my followers, who have put their hope in me for salvation. I'm sending you to the ends of the earth to make the mystery of the gospel known to the entire cosmos. And everyone's watching that all authority is, is given to me and I've given it to you to go and make disciples of the nations. And what this culminates towards is a day that, that after every knee has bowed and after every tongue has confessed that Jesus is Lord and Satan's got his dirty little butt kicked into the lake of fire forever along with all of the demons and, and, and every knee is now bowing in heaven on earth and under the earth. At the end of that time period, we get this glimpse where John is writing the book of Revelation and he is looking into heaven and he's seeing around the throne of God, this worship that's taking place day and night. And around that throne are people from what? Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping Jesus for all of eternity. And tonight, here we sit in this space. And when we recognize what Jesus has accomplished, when we recognize what his life, death, and resurrection truly means for our lives and for others as well. When we recognize the authority that the ascension that he experiences now being at the right hand of the father, when we recognize the authority Jesus is in over our lives and over the entire world, we begin to recognize that, wow, what he has invited us into is massively significant and that the end is sure. I love that, that we're not sitting here wondering, are we going to end up on the right side? Are we going to end up winning? Are we going to end up living eternal life with Jesus in heaven? Is the mission going to get filled or are all the people going to get reached? And, and Revelation gives us this picture that yes, Jesus is victorious. He will have the final word. He will rule and reign for all of eternity. And he's invited us by faith in him to be a part of that story, which is massively significant. So tonight, if you're here and you still don't know Jesus as your savior, I just want you to know this, that he is inviting you into something that is more significant than you can possibly imagine. He wants to know you personally. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to send you on mission to take the good news of who he is to the ends of the earth. And you will spend eternity with him in heaven with the angels, worshiping him for all of eternity, recognizing the new creation that he is creating, where he is at the center of it, and that you and I have been so fortunate to be invited into because of the grace and the love and the mercy that is extended in Jesus. If you're here tonight, you don't yet know Jesus. Can I just invite you in? <laughs> can I just invite you in? Have a conversation with somebody you came with. We'd love to share more with you about that.
If you're here tonight and you know Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're in, you're with him, you have a relationship with God, you know him. I wanna encourage you tonight that your purpose on this planet is so, so, so significant. That he has earned every bit of authority that he has. He deserves every bit of authority that he has. And he has given us his authority, which we did not earn and we do not deserve to take the good news of who he is everywhere we go to the ends of the earth. And we know that he is the one who will have the victory and the final word. So tonight, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So together, let's bow our knees in humble devotion to Jesus and recognize who he is in our life. And then let's live on mission with him as he sends us wherever we might find ourselves in a break room, uh, in, in our next shift, uh, our next conversation with somebody who might be brand new to the area, wherever we find ourselves, let's take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And you know, what's crazy about Orlando, Florida, and especially Walt Disney world is that the ends of the earth come here. And we have an amazing opportunity to bring the good news of Jesus so that the entire cosmos would recognize the manifold wisdom of God and to recognize that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time that we've had together tonight where we've really been able to think through the implications of the authority that Jesus has given us. God, we thank you for that. Um, We don't deserve it. We recognize uh, that you are kind to invite us into your kingdom. You're kind to invite us into relationship with you, uh, that you're good, that you have come and lived and died on the cross and resurrected so that our sin could be forgiven. We could be made new creations and that we could be invited into a story that is so big and so grand and so significant. And that this story has an end and we're all traveling toward that end. God, I pray that we would live our lives in view of that end, that we would live lives that are in view of the incredible work that you've done and that you've called us into. So Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you are seated, that you've been given the name that is above every name, that at your name we'll all bow and confess. We thank you that you are exalted, you're worthy and deserving. We give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.